Today is July 30th, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestakom, Aki, or Dekots Nagotine Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I honor the Blackfoot as the language, uh, the as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. So I'm going to say that one more time. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce it in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders as I, and language keepers as I learn proper pronunciation. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to the land of the hair people. And I'm just going to give a shout out to Heather for that because it was actually her that uh, said something that made me say, oh, I better explain that better. Um, I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Pinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene meaning many big dog town named after the Calgary Stampede who's in a lot of trouble. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples inherent rights Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2S LGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I do share my journey as I walk down the red road. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run, joined harmful colonial policies, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples. I have worked to continue, reports to advocate for, and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for this so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen, your role in reconciliation, and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never just be one month. It is important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders, and now we have a few other religions also oppressing. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important that land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement, so we as Indigenous peoples know how safe you are to be around. If you won't pronounce your local Indigenous nations' names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge e imposed economic oppression, your role in reconciliation, your treaty status, I determine how safe you are to be around for my community, my family, and myself. 
understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101, because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book, Unreconciled, explains it perfectly as do many other Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but it would also be a part of a treaty partnership, part of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the United Nation Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I'm speaking to you on the lens of the Nitsitapi, which is a Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed US-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with some folks that joined the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, the Wesley now Good Stony Nation, the Chiniki, the Bearstone, or Bearspaw, sorry, and uh, those three are all a part of the Stony Nations. The Dene from Sutina also signed part of Treaty 7. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can also go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pen posts on social media, as well as if you want to uh, book me for any land acknowledgement teachings if you are unclear after that introduction. So today I'm really happy to have a returning guest with me and someone I'm lucky enough to call a friend. Uh, Heather, would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Tansi, um, my name is Heather Morjo. My pronouns are they, she. I am mixed Indigenous, currently a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, um, Red River, Métis, Cree, and Tanaha Nation, uh, which is the people of the Kootenays. On my settler side, I am Celtic, German, and French. Uh, my, I regard the Kootenays as my ancestral homeland uh, because that was where I received my land-based teachings from my father growing up and connected with the land every May long weekend on my birthday. Uh, so that's a very special place for me. And I have returned to um, the territories of my uh, Tanaha grandmother to see the residential school where she went and met my great grandfather and saw them, them celebrated at the museum, met my family who still lives there and was uh, consulted on you know, different traditional art teachings. Um, I was born and raised in Red Deer, Alberta. I traveled <laughs> growing up queer in a small town in central Alberta was interesting. And so as soon as I could, I um, jumped and moved to Montreal, went to school in Toronto, uh, worked in Edmonton, had a, my first art studio in Vancouver and then lived in Calgary for 10 years where I recovered from uh, addiction and mental health struggles. 
And then just this past November, I purchased my first house. So shout out to your podcast about Indigenous home ownership. And uh, moved in with my fiance, Brittany Wolf, who is a paramedic. And I have, I don't know what else to tell you. My, my spirit name um, was given to me in Blackfoot by Elder Grant Little Mustache. And I, I'm not going to pronounce it properly, so I appreciate your patience. Uh, Natui Atista Aki. Um, and then it translates into Holy Rabbit Woman. Mm. Um, I've tried many times to pronounce it in Cree, but it is just so sad that my friends laugh at me, so I don't do it. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, us laughing at ourselves or each other when we're trying to learn our own language is like it's its own, own podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what else can I tell you? I am uh, two-spirit. I identify as queer, femme, uh, woman. I, oh my goodness, what else can I tell you? I'm an artist, entrepreneur. I have four jobs right now. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> I, I might have a workaholism issue to deal with. Um, I've been in recovery from addiction for 11 years, and I live with multiple diagnoses of mental health, including schizophrenia, uh, which I talk openly about to try and reduce stigma. And I, yeah, that's my, that's my introduction for you. That's awesome. I think that uh, you're one of the coolest people in my life, actually. So, and I think that it's so amazing. We just didn't mean to, but we are both wearing into city earrings just for this podcast. So for folks who aren't following us on YouTube, well, it is too bad for you, but go to Into City for some amazing earrings. If you like what we're, what you're seeing on the two of us. Um, for me, I, you all know I'm a Star Wars nerd. If you follow me on any social medias, I'm always making Star Wars references to anything in life. And uh, so I have the uh, Grogu Indigenous Creatures earrings because I was like, oh my God, I have to have those. <laughs> and you have the, uh, the, the phases of the moon. They're so pretty. Yeah, I was so excited when I got a chance to be an artist in residence at the same studio where they create their artwork and got to chat with the artists a little bit and get to know them. And I was kind of fangirling, trying not to seem ridiculous, but you know, it's, they're, they're a big deal. They're huge. And, you know, Angel um, was so incredibly sweet to Sam and you're going to get a kick out of this. So her, or their friends actually jokingly say Samuel. So I asked, like, do you want to do a change? And they were like, no, 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 it's just a nickname for now. So I thought you might get a get a kick out of that. So and and I also want to add to my introduction, like being a part connected to your family. And over the past, how many years has it been? Six years now? Yeah. And getting to know Sam and how they have grown into a, such an amazing young human has has inspired me in so many ways. And I just, I love your family and I wish you so many blessings forever and always. Like you're just amazing. It's, it's, it is a hundred percent mutual. You are Auntie Heather to right. a Sam one and, and forever, but to, for folks who don't know, Heather is literally the reason why Sam gave school a go again. 
so what had happened was that Heather was working on one of her medicine wheel gardens that are gorgeous, uh, right behind uh, Jack James and at, right by Bob Bahan. And, you know, Sam was helping with construction and helping Heather whenever they could. And um, they started talking. It was Heather that encouraged Sam to go back to school. And thankfully, I should also give a shout out to, um, I want to say it's Janice Weasel there, um, who is a part of the CBE, who was at the time uh, at Jack James and made sure Sam's paperwork got in. And so I had two Indigenous women really help Samantha get to a school. And, you know, it, it really, and, and I don't know if you know this, but Samantha or Sam won uh, six awards at Jack James at the end of the year. What? Uh-huh. I did she not would, know. I know. She was, uh, uh, had the top honor or top grades for five classes and then got a Citizens Award. So thankfully, Jack James really like took her in and just allowed her to fly. And, yeah. and so now they have their confidence back and such. And, and there was so much like anxiety going into grade 10 after, you know, homeschooling and COVID. And so like, this was such a healing year for them. And it's because of you like literally would not have thought about going back to high school if it wasn't for your encouragement. So from the bottom of my heart, I think anyone who knows anything about childhood development, childhood mental health, knows the importance of having, you know, support people that it's different coming from mom and dad. It's not the same when it comes from other people. So like that, the importance of having that uh, community support, that's what did it. And I, I will be forever grateful to you and to Janice for encouraging Samantha to continue on with, with their world. And, and now as a result, they have, you know, like, I couldn't believe it. You're not going to believe this, but at the end of, um, so Samantha's uh, birthday is uh, in July, and because everybody's on holidays, we decided to celebrate it in June before all of her, all of their friends went to uh, ho holidays and such. And they all wanted to play the laser tag. So a bunch of Indigenous youth who are like 16 to 18 all wanted to play laser tag, and that's what they did. So it, it was like, it was just such a great healing year, and I, I just, I can't like thank you enough and I wanted to say it on the podcast because it's so important for other people who may not know how important they are in a youth's life to see how that those words of encouragement can change the trajectory of someone's life oh it's it's my pleasure and honor and I mean I just want to mention like Jack James is a trade school and we do not give enough cred to people learning trades whether or not they make it a career having those skills gives confidence in a way that nothing nothing does right yeah. like maybe maybe learning how to program does but I I didn't get that kind of confidence from <laughs> building something out of wood compared to learning how to do html right right I, yeah it's incredible and um actually Leonard Monkman um, mentored Samantha for a CBC Kids article and, and was shocked at how like evolved her writing or their writing um, skills were. So like, like just because Samantha's at a trade school doesn't mean 
you know, that that's their destiny. It could be one of many things, but I do know you are the one, the inspiration that, that got them to even look into it and consider it and, and go. And uh, they are so proud of being a part of that project back there and, and gets, they get to brag about it and show it to people whenever they ask. So I just hope you know what a positive influence you are on uh, Sam alone. Yeah, and it's an honor to be able to mentor youth, right? And to pass on that knowledge and, and uh, yeah, thank you. That opportunity work with Sam has been fantastic for me too. That's great. Okay. So the real reason why I wanted you back on was because, so do you, maybe you want to tell the story of, of what made you think of some, you know, public art, what you chose, why you chose it, the application, anything you want to start telling us about the real reason why I wanted to have you on. And I'm probably going to call this episode Goose Garden. Hashtag Juice Garden. I, I only have one other competition for that hashtag, so I'm sticking with it. Um, yeah, so let's, let's, let's back up before the application here a minute sure. and talk about public art as an industry. So typically public art is an afterthought. So city planners, city um, designers are creating the infrastructure and everything. And then they're like, okay, we'll put art here. So this is the space you get to work with. This is the medium you get to work with. This is the budget you get to work with. This is the timeline. And if your design fits in that little tiny box, then maybe if you get picked, you get to do public art, right? And, and typically it's, it's pretty limited to murals, right? I'm not a mural artist. I can paint, but I don't really want to be well, shout out to the muralists who are out in like this blazing hot weather painting. <laughs> Actually, I bumped into Jesse Gucci at uh, Folk Fest this weekend. Yeah. It's day four. And he was telling me he's at Inglewood right now at Fair's Fair working on a mural that does like, it's like a quilt, but and each tile tells the story in chronological order of Inglewood. So I'm super excited to go see it. And like you, deepest respects, man. <laughs> bad, bad respect. I, I think it's amazing, but I'm not that person, right? So, I mean, I wanna do public art. I wanna do, take my designs and bring them into the public sphere and have them seen and appreciated. And my, my medium is sculpture, whether it's living sculpture through the medicine wheel, um, the sacred medicine gardens or um, something like Goose Garden. So what happened for the first time ever is the city of Calgary put out a call and said, here is the artist initiated public art project. You tell us what you wanna do, blank slate. Okay, here we go, right? This is the first chance that I have to show, to demonstrate you know, what my creative capacity is, right? Um, and there was constraints, like it was only going to be on display for a, a period of time. And the budget was small <laughs> for public art installation, but um, it, was, it was my chance, right? And here's my, here's my foot in the door. So I talked to my brother and I said, listen, I wanna do this, but I'm not quite sure exactly what. And so we, we got to talking and, 
I'm like, I want to do a garden, but I don't want to do it the same as the other gardens I've done. And he's like, well, you know, you were checking out the mermaid community out, out west where he is, and you were really into their floating gardens. So why don't you play with that a little bit? And I'm like, yes, right. And my brother is a creative spirit too. He's an animator. So I love collaborating with him creatively, right? He always just kind of sparks that little something in my mind that takes me on a new journey. And um, so I, I conceptualized and then pitched it. And I started with a pencil drawing, colored pencil drawing, right? Because in my traditional ADHD fashion, I left it till the very last minute. And <laughs> so I just, I sketched it out and I basically said, I want to create a floating sculpture out of fiberglass um, and it will be a garden with water cleaning plants because I know that pond is constantly full of muck, <laughs> right? And um, so I really wanted to do that and I pitched it and I heard, I heard the number of how many people applied for it, but I, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but only four of us got in. It was, it was hundreds that applied. And some big names and some big, like, respected names got it, got, like, applied. So I was shocked that I was one of the 20 finalists. And then one of the 20 finalists, we all sat in a, a Zoom meeting, went through interviews and things like this. And then it came down to four, and they made it as one of the last four. So I was just like, oh, didn't expect that. Right. And um, <clears throat> now I have to manage to pull this off. <laughs> so um, the process of constructing Goose Garden included first finding a swan paddle boat. So once upon a time at, uh, oh darn, what is the name of that fair? Callaway Park? Yeah. Yeah. Once upon a time, Callaway Park had goose or swan boats that you could ride. So I called them and I said, can I have one of your swan boats? They said, no. Um, I, I looked around for a used one, but there was no luck, right? They're not really something that's in a hot commodity in the secondhand market. So I ended up having to buy a brand new swan boat from Florida and um, they don't ship to Canada. So first, to just, just to get the quote, I had to give them the address to my cousin who lives on the Flathead Reserve in Montana. And so we'll come back to that, it's relevant. But what ended up happening is my father and his company was able to ship it up to Alberta here and um, saved a bit of money on the shipping too. When it got here, it had two right wings. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to call them, let them know. They'll probably send me another one. No problem. It's just a little bump in the road. But they're like, yeah, sorry about your luck. So I, I got kind of, I got digitally bitchy about it and uh, flamed them on Google, right? And was basically like, I told the truth. I said, my order was messed up. They wouldn't fix it right yeah and then they call me and then they're like hey um we're gonna we're gonna FedEx this wing to you and uh the the left wing um and we just want to make sure we got the address right so I gave them the address of the fiberglass studio in Bentley and 
it shows up in Montana. <laughs> so they ship this wing to Montana. And so I'm like, okay, I, you guys, you got to get this wing to me in Alberta, right? I'm not taking a road trip to go pick up a fiberglass wing. And um, couldn't at the time either, because this was last summer when I had three garden installations, right? So it's not like I have time. Mm -hmm. right? And um, so they're like, oh yeah, we'll send, we'll send FedEx to go pick it up. Well, if you've ever had FedEx pick up something on reserve, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of a challenge to get them to show up when they're going to say they're going to show up. Sure. So um, not like I know, not like I've lived on reserve, but I just from family, I get, I get it. Um, and then they, oh God. So the wing is still there. The wing is still in Montana <laughs> at my cousin's house. And um, so we're like, okay, just go ahead with it. Um, I had never sculpted fiberglass, but I was working with a professional who had 40 years of experience. Nice. So this guy had built like million dollar yachts and he created the boot, like the float booms for um, uh, aircraft that land on water. Mm. He, he's very talented and he was very patient. And I had so much going on last summer. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to have time to sculpt this. So a friend of mine is like, well, I have a buddy and he's created a sculpture before out of fiberglass. So he could help you. And uh, so I talked to this person on the phone and they talked a good talk. And I fell for it. Mm. And I got scammed hard. Dang. hard right? Like I paid um, half up front and then they kept asking for more, asking for more, asking for more. They showed up late on the day that they were supposed to do the do the work and apparently did like a half an hour worth of actual sculpting oh. and like took me for two thousand yeah. dollars and um then i refused to pay them the final like 150 bucks right like when i finally got a chance to go see the goose yeah I, like, this is not what i paid for right but it's good enough but it's not what i paid for right? Like the, the artists, like the fiberglass professional made it what it, what it is. And so I, I told him, I'm not paying you this final 150 bucks. Yeah. Right. And he's sending me weird texts and before that, and then um, he starts saying, oh, I'm going to call the city manager on you. He's got friends at city hall and he's going to call them and sick them on me and stuff like this. So I'm like, okay, yeah, go ahead. Please do. Yeah, yeah, maybe I can get my 2000 bucks back. Yeah. And uh, then I um, and, and then it just kept escalating. And I'm like, you know what, if you keep this harassment up, I am going to call the police. Right. Sure. And don't do that lightly. But yeah. at the time, I was single woman living in down like marginalized queer woman living in downtown Calgary. And this person was scaring me. Yeah. Right. Behavior was erratic. Sure. Uh, some of the things they said left me wondering what was really going on. So I ended up calling the police and saying, yeah, tell this person to back off. And uh, 
he even took the cop for a ride. Like he was like, oh, I would never want to upset her. I, it's not worth losing a friend over 150 bucks. And, and the cop was like, yeah, he sounds like a really nice guy. It was just a misunderstanding. I'm like, okay, but he'll never contact me again, right? Right, good, thanks. <laughs> right? So it was, it was just like this disaster of situations in the midst of all of the busyness of constructing the three gardens last year. And so we got the sculpting done and then we transported it to your house. And this was what, it was August, August, September by the time. I yeah, so I'm waiting on a payment to buy the paint, which is like a specialized boat paint that is safe for the environment and really hard to apply. And I'm, I think it, it didn't come through till like January right because it, it takes time to work with the city right sure. like there and there's like layers of of check marks that you have to hit in order to get installations of payments so I think it was finally got payment around January and then ordered the paint and hired someone to help me paint in March or April and so we got like and, and he worked, they worked hard for me, right? Like they were pushing to try and get everything finished before they went to their internship. We spent nine hours painting the feather texture on the back one day. I was in so much pain. And they, they got like 99% done. All we had to do was the top coat. And um, then I contacted the city and they're like, you know, I, with my original proposal, I had sent them um, drafting images that were signed off by an engineer um, that, you know, the, the structure was good and the anchoring system was good. And then they moved the goalpost. They say, you need to have a structural engineer review what's already been constructed for its structural integrity. So the dome on the back covers the seats, right? So that nobody can get into the boat. And it was specifically designed and sculpted in such a way that if someone tried to climb on there, it's slippery, they're going to slip and fall back in the water. It's not easy to get on it for wildlife or for humans. It wasn't Out. easy to get on it in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> not that I tried, I did not, I was like, that is a broken ankle waiting to happen. So I didn't even try, yeah. but I will say this while it, before it was painted and really um, going, there was a little one who had seen it and said, why do you have a spaceship in your garage? And I just thought that was one of the best moments ever. <laughs> it totally does look like that, especially without the head on. Yeah, you know? totally does. Um, love it. And then, um, where was I? So yeah, the city turns around and says, you need a structural engineer to sign off on the dome on the back that it can actually take the weight of somebody crawling on top of it. And I'm like, well, I had a fiberglass professional with 40 years of experience construct this. And they're like, 
nope, engineer. That's the only level of approval that we will accept. So I tried everything, but it's just literally not in the budget for yeah. what they, right? Like that's, that's an extra $5,000 that they didn't put in what I'm getting paid. And I've already lost money because we're a year behind schedule and I got scammed and <laughs> it's in storage over winter. Right. And you and Darcy were incredibly generous about donating the space. And I'm so grateful for that. But um, yeah, so I had a meltdown and I, I remembered that I had gone to the Calgary Indigenous Public Arts Consultation Committee back in the fall. And I'm like, there was a person there, Julie. And she said, if anything ever happens with the city to contact her, because she can help with uh, navigating the many, many loopholes. So I'm, I'm literally like between sobs, looking up her number and calling her and being like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't afford an engineer. You know, I... <laughs> I've ju I jumped through all the hoops that were in the book and now there's new hoops and there's no money for these hoops and my art's never going to see the water. And she's like, so amazing. She's like, you know what? We've dealt with this with other artists so often that we hired engineers to work with the artists. We've contracted them. So I'm like, oh, okay here's a solution, right? Like this is, this is the chance. Like I had completely given up hope that this sure. is ever going to make it to the water. And like, cause the bureaucracy and being facing so many levels of marginalization, it's like, it seemed insurmountable. To be I'm not going to lie. Part of the reason why I wanted you on this podcast was for folks to understand how incredibly painful and difficult, emotionally wrenching, financially awful, all of this was, mm -hmm. how it affected so many people, all because the city kept moving the goalposts. It was brutal. Yeah, it was brutal. You know, and, and like, Julie came in and just had the solutions. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the city couldn't do that. Sure. Right. It was just like this one department didn't know that this department could have a solution. And so they kept making it harder and harder on me. Right. And it's like, if I was a city arts staff member, and all of a sudden I have this amazing opportunity to work with artists on their own terms, and we're specifically selecting artists that face barriers to accessing, to getting their art into the public art sphere. I would do everything in my power to make sure that they have everything that they need, that there is nobody standing in their way. And if anything comes up, I'm going to work my ass off to find a solution. And Julie did that. And it was amazing. Right. Um, Shout out to Julie. <laughs> holy, holy. And then, so she, the, the engineer shows up at your, your garage and sits on the goose and looks at the goose. He's like, yeah, it looks really well built. 
I think the only thing that we would have to do is when we put it in the water, we'll have four people on one side on, lean on it. And if it doesn't flip, then we'll leave it there. If it does flip, well, it probably shouldn't stay in the water. Good, done, no problem. So me and Albert Wu um, worked one Saturday to get the top coat done. My dad is like sewing the bags for the, um, for the plants to go in the water. Um, we're just like trying to get things rolling as fast as we can because summer's halfway over. It's July. I'm not gonna like, I'm gonna get a couple months in the water before the, the frost comes. Yeah. And um, then we had amazing help from professional movers and Polly G, who um, brought an incredible team, um, and they they magically like just moved this giant three hundred pound goose out of your garage, and it had like this much clearance from the. <laughs> I didn't think it had that much clearance. <laughs> There's a picture that much clearance from the head of the goose to the top of the garage and uh and then they get it up on the truck and my dad got the thrill of driving a giant goose uh, through down memorial right <laughs> down to princess island park and there was definitely people like pulling up and stopping and taking pictures and stuff of this goose on the back of a truck <laughs> um and and you know what was funny is um we we were going to harvest wild plants for the garden but the day that we were going to do that i was so exhausted i was so tired right i was just like i'm working three jobs i am just burnt out yeah. so i knew of this one place that has native plants and has water plants so i was just like let's just go and take a look and sure enough, they had native species of these plants that I needed. So I didn't have harvesting, wild harvesting, because I would not have, oh, it was not gonna go good if that was gonna be going to do it. I was so tired. And, and I mean, there is also like, I don't want non-Indigenous people to see us doing wild harvesting yeah. of aquatic plants and just think they can do that for their own pond. Right? Like, I think that's really important to mention too, like water plants were selected for the sculpture because they clean water, right? And that's an important part of our ecosystem. Like when we see them on the side of the road, it's because there's so much gunk coming off of our cars that wash off with the rain into those gutters. And the only thing preventing it from becoming a, a contaminant is those plants right um so yeah i just wanted to throw that in there so nobody thinks oh i'm just gonna go harvest some um yeah so paulie my dad uh my son who was adopted at birth was there um who i was lucky enough to meet by the way yeah a lot of people uh, you know it, it's it's a big hard area of my life that I don't talk very openly about right but um it was really special he's an adult now 
um, he's making his own choices, making his own path. And it was just really special to have him there. Uh, when he was younger, he used to think that I was like this big famous artist. And then he saw me living in a basement suite. And he's like, I thought you were rich. And I'm like, how did you think I was rich? He's like, you're, you're an artist and you've traveled all over. I'm like, but I'm, I'm barely getting by. <laughs> right? It was so sweet. So it was like one of the first opportunities I had to show him, like, I'm making it as an artist, right? Which sure. was really special. Um, and who else was there? Albert was there. Alan was there. Alan helped with all of the gardens as well, um, as well as Albert um, and my dad. And we planted it and we stood on one side of it and she didn't tip. She barely even lifted out of the water, right? Like it was built solid. It's almost like it was built by an, a, a guy with 30 years of experience, <laughs> right? Like, and um do you need a an extinguisher for that burn city? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it went in great. And Julie was even there, and she even helped take the goof out and put it in the water. She was so <laughs> she's like 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 waist deep in cold sludge water. <laughs> you know and she's just living like she's just like this is the coolest project ever right the engineers were there they were happy with it um the conservator for the city of calgary was there so all along the way you know there was checks and balances to make sure that this was a positive impact on the ecosystem and um and i should backtrack and mention that um even from the very beginning elder marilyn shingoose and elder grant little mustache were guiding me on this process, right? And making sure that it was done in a good way. And um, yeah, so she finally got into the water and I was just over the moon excited, right? I'm just like, thank heaven. Thank heaven that she made it in the water, yeah. right? It's been, it's been a two, technically four year journey, two years of building, but it was like two years since the initial conception of the goose in the first place wow so yeah yeah that's a long commitment so and I, I i really want people to understand that and when i when i think back of um back when i ran municipally and that beaufort tower project went in i was so angry and yeah. i had talked to um aaron paquette because in edmonton he's a national uh, internationally known are a well-known author and um he became a counselor and he talked about the city of calgary or city of edmonton um implementing undrip as part of their art in order to you know create spaces for indigenous people and so when i ran i was hoping that we could make some changes like that so since then to now to hear what you went through it was pretty bumpy i'm not too pleased with the city this is a major change from a Beaufort Tower installation, which is still awful, and I wish they would change it to this moment of something so beautiful done by a two-spirit femme, you know, and, and it's there. And it was there in time for Folk Fest, which is important to say for folks who don't know who aren't from Calgary, Folk Fest happens at Princess Island Park, and it's not Princess, it's like Prince is Island Park, and um, 
so that's where they have the folk fest and there's a lagoon between this island and the main part of Calgary and that's where this was planted so um just so you know Maryland North Pagan is part of the indigenous relations team for the uh folk fest which isn't mentioned in their in their pamphlet or anything I wish it was but we had done ceremony uh last year and this year to start it off in a good way and um I had mentioned during the ceremony that your goose had just gone in and that uh, to, to try to post some positive things about it and take pictures because I knew your journey was, I, I mean, I didn't even know all the details until now. I just knew it was ridiculous. So I was just happy to finally see it there and finally see something so positive happen. And, you know, you're a, you've ran for the Green Party at what, twice or three times? Twice. Twice. Yeah. So, you know, so your commitment to um, to ecology, the your commitment to indigenous ways like that you live it in every possible way that you can possibly be. So having you have these plants that are, are really the cleaning engineers of, of the water is like so on par for you, but on par for what we should be doing as a society anyway. So mm -hmm. like there wasn't any part of this that wasn't amazing, like from from it's just a beautiful piece. Thank you so much. And that means a lot to me that, you know, it was mentioned to Marilyn North Pagan at the Folk Fest before that, because, I mean, that's a big, big event. Like, like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people go through that event every, but, but yeah, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Yo, you're welcome. Oh my goodness. It's a beautiful piece. And I hope that all Calgarians will see it. I hope that they get their pictures with it. I hope they hashtag goose garden. Now you and I happen to notice that somebody shared it on uh, CM Calgary, formerly known as crack max, which is really problematic language, which is why they changed their name to CM Calgary. Um, so I, I wanted to um, ask you if, uh, if, how you felt about reading that thread and if there were some things you wanted to address. Oh, it was hilarious. I, I read it on the highway and because I, I didn't realize it had gone up until today, actually. I'm like, oh, there was supposed to be a post and oh, shoot, look, there's a post. And um, my friend Tamara actually tagged me in it. And they what did they call it? the chicken cobra deity <laughs> so the cobra chicken for folks who don't know what a cobra chicken is it was a, a an asian fellow who had broken english and he was trying to explain a canada goose to somebody and yeah. he said it's like a cobra chicken and it, that just went viral all across canada we were like yes they're cobra chickens from now on so yeah. the cobra chicken deity is like the perfect like because when you see all the other uh geese with it and, and it's yeah. like this king it's like yes it is a deity <laughs> yeah and i can i can relate to the hostility of the goose <laughs> right like i want to chase people down and hiss at them too yes <laughs> but um yeah um anyway back to the comments yeah i mean the it was funny, like, mostly because, I mean, they're on that page specifically, they're not going to mention, they're, they're not going to mention the artist, they're not going to mention anything about it, they're just going to put something up there, and it's clickbait, yeah. and they want people to react, right, and they, they're like, oh my goodness, they're spending 
money on art. How dare they when the roads need work and da da da, as if there isn't already a massive budget for that and a hundred people employed to do that, right? How dare they employ one artist who employed other artists, right? Like it's just, it, I, for people who are not connected to the arts industry, who don't understand the value of public art, I kind of get it. It just, it just looks like, what did somebody call it? Uh, a giant floating rubber duck, <laughs> right? Like, like that's, that's all it is to them. But when you understand that for one, on, on the colonial side, public art and culture is a $5 billion industry, last I checked back in 2019, that art improves quality of life for all citizens mm -hmm. um, and ensures that the living experience in a city is a positive one, right? So like we're all dealing with mental health stuff as a fallout of COVID, you know, quality of life, having something whimsical like a giant freaking goose on your walk to your commute at your corporate job in downtown Calgary might lift your spirits just maybe one person but still it makes a difference yeah. right um you know we can't be a world-class destination for tourism without having world-class art yeah. right and that does include international artists who have no idea about our culture and end up building monstrosities that are disrespectful and that is also hiring local indigenous queer two-spirit artists right and so this this investment in the city um you know i like and i want to start clapping back but i'm like you know what they're not going to get it on this page but when when economists have studied how indigenous people manage money right they're like they have recorded that when they give an indigenous specifically woman or two-spirit person money it doubles in value to the impact to the community right because we focus on empowering other people in the community and that's important to realize right when you're talking about getting bang for your buck right you've got the option between hiring that same public artist who has made millions of dollars off of his sculptures, which are lovely and very creative. And I appreciate the aesthetic. Or you can hire a new up and coming indigenous artist who's going to hire people from within the community who are also facing similar challenges and empower them, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, when you're talking about the impact financially, it's a different impact financially. Right. Um, what else, what other comments were there? Can you remind me? I don't even remember now. Um, I just remember our good friend who's uh, part Anuk, uh, who is an, an Indigenous woman, um, you know, basically challenge everybody, give write-ups to it right away. Like, they did the work that I was like, oh, I'm going to have to find a stupid, like, blah, blah. But no, you, they had already done the work. So, yeah. um, and who is also an artist, actually, Alberta Rose, amazing yeah. artist. Uh, a lot of folks around here know her. So, um, you know, I, 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 
note to say thank you to. Yeah, no, huge thank you, because you saved me some time and effort from blowing a gasket. But that bigger picture that uh, I, I actually don't follow that account or post on it for most of the time, just because I, I do know it's more of a clickbait. And unfortunately, it's at the expense of an Indigenous two-spirit female artist. And uh, that I don't love. And that's why I consider it pretty problematic. But I see a lot of the main Calgary accounts, you know, won't include 2S in their LGBTQ accurate number as well. So like, as soon as I see that, I'm like, oh, this is a racist, um, you know, account that I don't particularly want to follow. Because to me, I, and I'm not going to use light words anymore, like, you know, maybe some anti-Indigenous bias, lack of Indigenous inclusion. No, it's just, it's just racism at this point. Like, there, there's no reason to exclude the, your treaty partner. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be here without, but, but they still do and, and claim it's ignorance, but it, it's 2023. I, I just don't have time for it anymore. So um, for me, it, you know, that bigger picture that, you know, can we... Can we uplift our Indigenous community as part of that treaty relationship, part of reconciliation, part of educating non-Indigenous on issues that this person's lucky enough to know? You know, I'd love to see more of that. So I'm hoping, you know, um, for folks who are, are questioning about the Goose Garden, because I remember when I ran, that was the only conversation that was happening was public art. Um, public art in the arena, despite, you know, the very clear issue of drug poisoning and, uh, you know, ballooning police budgets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, that was where the major community was focused on was arena and public art. And yeah. I was trying to bring awareness to the uh, poor process of public art for Indigenous people for the Beaufort Towers to be up and, and people just disregarded that. And it, it was an awful moment. But here we are making this beautiful piece that not, is not just something pretty to look at, but it also is functional in cleaning our water and done by a wonderful person who deserves international accolades as far as I'm concerned. So, and oh, you did say three gardens last year that you were working on. Now, I know the one that Samantha helped you with, there was one at the uh, Children's Hospital. And what was the other one? I'm sorry, I forgot. Yeah, it was an installation at Swan River First Nation. Right. And, um, it was actually a really special um, process. Um, Carrie, oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten Carrie's last name. I want to look it up right now. Um, Carrie is a member of the First Nation. She, she's just such a powerful um, spirit, and she runs the um, Honoring Life program there, which is specifically for Carrie Kuchar. There we go, K-A-C-H-U-R. Um, it's specifically addressing the crisis of um, people ending their lives in the community, right, which is an epidemic in all First Nations communities, right, and so when she approached me, I'm like, absolutely, I will do this, right, like, um, and, you know, we, we did a process, she's like, you know, you did the painted stones with the children's hospital, but we want to do something like that, but not painted stones, right? Because we want it to be a little more lighter on the earth. So um, 
we, when I was a child here in Red Deer, Alberta, there was an artist here that would bring us unglazed greenware tiles of clay and we would carve into them, right? And then they would fire them and then they would glaze them. And so I remembered that and I thought to myself, well, wouldn't it be great if we could do that with these youth and the, these community members and then they can decide what they wanna put into their garden. So we're able to find, um, so the their medicine wheel is red, yellow, blue, and white. And I was so fortunate to be able to sit in the teepee and hear teachings about their medicine wheel that will stay in my heart forever. And I was able to find clay that came in those four colors. Yes. And so Samantha and Albert and all of the these incredible volunteers with Sober Crew Calgary came together at the Mudworks pottery or ceramic studio which is the most beautiful ceramic studio I have seen in my life I it's really to. cool I had never been there except to pick up Samantha and, and drop uh, them off and I was like pretty pretty shook by what I seen it's beautiful yeah I'm like I'm drooling it's so beautiful there the ceramics I tried so hard when I was like nine to learn how to be a potter and failed horribly because I could not get the pot straight because I can't do anything straight so <laughs> I just <laughs> was unsuccessful but I was drooling over the studio anyway um what was the name of the artist that was helping me with that too I gotta remember her name I think it was Lisa um why didn't I write down these names before I sat down with you? Because it's too much pressure on a podcast, but that's okay. Because if anybody wants to look this one up, like it's available for them to look yeah. up and learn more about. And I just, I didn't want to not bring up those three projects as well, because that's like that energy is still in the goose garden too, right? Yeah. It's there. Yeah. And so we created 120, um, clay tiles right and we sent them we shipped them in what's called a wet box and it's it's a tupperware box that's got plaster in it and the plaster is full of moisture so it keeps the clay tiles at a certain amount of moisture so that they don't get too hard so you can't carve them or blah da, 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 right and um so we set we shipped them up there with tools and they were able to um they were able to carve them with their own memory of their family right and the loved ones that they've lost celebrating the the people in their family like it was it was absolutely incredible mm -hmm. and then they shipped them back just and we put them into the the kiln and they were fired but they weren't quite ready the day that we left. Sorry, I was just looking her up. Um, I'm, I'm using keywords trying to look her up. I feel so bad for not being able to remember her name. Um, so we had to leave before it was ready, right? And so we... Um, I cannot find her. It's so frustrating. Um, so we left 
on this big hippie bus that runs on biodiesel, right? Um, that Sky Dreamer had converted, right? And so we all pile into the bus with our with our tools and everything, and we're headed up north. And it's an eight hour drive, and I had just started dating Brit, and I'm like. I don't know how to get these tiles up to us. Like, I don't know who to call for a hot shot. It's clay tiles. People don't understand how fragile they are, right? Like, I'm just freaking out. And she is a paramedic. Paramedics work 12 hour shifts. So she had started work at 8 p.m. And she got off work at 8 a.m. And she drove from Sylvan Lake to Calgary, picked up the tiles, drove them all the way to Edmonton, where she met Bryson and Alan from the Foodscape team. And they got the tiles and then they brought the tiles up just in time for us to cast it into the cement of the garden at Swan River. It was it was just so beautiful. And um and I was hooked and I was like, I have to marry her. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. This is not for this podcast, but just remind me later to talk about ambulance paramedics and my, my, my brother's story. Jeez, maybe I'll have him come on the podcast, but now I'm realizing cause Britt could possibly one day be transferring my own family. And that is just so to me because I have family in Sylvan Lake. Right. So I, um, yeah, she's, uh, she's definitely an amazing person. Uh, just real quick, Heather decided that they needed to take their whole lawn off. And I watched Brit in ridiculous amounts of web, uh, heat, take off the sod from a massive, massive lawn. And I was like, holy cow, this is definitely a keeper. <laughs> she is a workhorse. Holy Hannah. <laughs> That was my birthday wish and I, I got it granted for sure and thank you so much for being there too and coming up all the way from Calgary to Red Deer I appreciate it oh I would in a second I used to Darcy and I used to go from Calgary up to Sylvan Lake all the time on the weekends because we, well, we missed home and right. uh, we considered it home for a long long time right and then we kind of realized that our parents were getting tired of us so we're like mm, maybe we better stay in Calgary so we did <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so anyway, I, um, I, I loved having you on and talking about the goose garden and talking about all the things that kind of went along with that. Is there anything else that you would like to add for today? Yeah, um, the one thing that I, I wish I would have, I could tell everybody and remind everybody is, you know, Princess Island Park is the current nesting ground for these geese that live here that are part of our ecosystem. But they were here long before Calgary was. Yeah. They were here generations before Calgary was even a twinkle in a settler's colonizer's eye, right? And so they have a connection to this land that's important to respect and recognize, yeah. you know. And I know for a lot of people, it's like, what recognize the goose's connection to the land? And that's a stretch. But maybe somebody out there, it'll kind of remind them of something yeah. that is inherent in all humans, that we have a connection to a homeland, right? And 
that homeland for us is Turtle Island, um, but for some of my ancestors, it's Europe, right? And it's important to recognize those homelands and um, value other people's connection to their own homelands, so. Mm -hmm. Really important, especially as uh, you and I are treaty partners with the Blackfoot Confederacy. And, uh, you know, that spot, man, we should talk about the history of that area another day. Maybe I'll get a historian on there. But uh, from an Indigenous point of view, uh, the Siksika used to go upstream to Banff and take the deadfall and take it down the river. And the new settlers, colonizers were like, what are they doing? Oh, that's a good idea. And oh, all of a sudden we have Eau Claire Lumber and Mill. And um, originally in the planning, they were going to put the uh, CPR rail uh, yards right there, right where all these uh, homes and such are, which would actually be a smart considering the flooding. But that's for another day. There was a bunch of politics that ended up stopping that. And, and that was being that ended up not being there. So um, you know, it was really a stolen Indigenous idea as well. And uh, Fort Calgary, of course, being the trading post for all Indigenous people for centuries prior to colonialism. And now, of course, we don't have those opportunities to uh, set up our TVs and set up our, our trade routes like we used to. So I, I think it's incredibly important that you brought up the, the uh, geese especially. Um, you know, for a lot of us, that when we do our smudge, we acknowledge those that fly. I know uh, for a lot of settlers, they don't. Uh, it was when I started to reclaim who I was, that was something that was new to me, was really understanding our treaties with our animals and our and our birds and, and those that are creepy crawlies, like everything. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I do wish our new settlers who are here would understand the gravity of their lack of treaty with animals and such. Now, Christ Christianity teaches them that they are above the land. They are above having treaty with the other animals and birds. And that's a real shame. That's why the buffalo were you know, treated the way they were by them. Uh, that bigger picture that we, we need to make amends. Reconciliation, so much bigger than putting a stupid land acknowledgement in an email signature. And I wish mm -hmm. our uh, fellow settlers who claim to be committed to reconciliation understood their role as treaty partners and respecting that, but we're not there yet. Um, anyway, that's another another conversation for another day, I guess. Can I, do I have time to mention one other thing? Yeah, absolutely. In the indigenous worldview, all uh, of the creatures on earth are our relations. Right. And sometimes that word relations, people trip up on. They're like, what do you mean relations? And because it has different meanings in some English languages. Right. Sure. And so, well, imagine the goose is your cousin. Now imagine Eau Claire and Princess Island Park is your cousin's house. How do you conduct yourself in your cousin's house? Yeah. You know, and, and just shift the conversation like that and just see if that sparks any any awareness of their responsibility in reconciliation we'll keep trying <laughs> right right beautifully said love it love it thank you so much for coming back on my podcast i can't wait to have you on again another time when we talk about something new going on and uh, i'm going to do my exit and you are absolutely welcome to chime in as i do it thanks again heather for being on i'll see hi hi
Awesome. Uh, so for folks who don't know, we have the Indigenous Book Club. It's literally open to anybody who can um, attach themselves to a Zoom. And our next book club is August 14th, Our Voice of Fire by Brandy Morin. September 11th, we're doing the Government of Alberta's Report, Pathways to Justice, 113 Pathways to Justice Recommendations of an Alberta Joint Working Group on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Uh, that's open to the public. Anybody can read that anytime, but we'll dissect it that day, October 9th. Uh, Cree lawyer Harold Johnson's book, Peace and Good Order, The Case for Indigenous Justice. I still need to get myself a copy. Uh, November 13th, a report to uh, a report and guide to, to the implementation of a national action plan on violence against women and gender-based violence. It is a little upsetting to me that we have to have a separate one considering we have the MMIW report that really does focus on both not just women but also gender-based violence. But hey, we have to have a settler report and an Indigenous one, I guess, even though it's literally the Indigenous that are non-Indigenous that have to implement it. But here we are, uh, December 11th. Making Space for Indigenous Feminism, edited by Joyce Green. And if you want to be a part of the Reconciliation Action Group, please just reach out to us. If you are not in the Calgary area, there should be reconciliation committees in your work, in your sports club, in your nonprofit. Every single person should be attached to a reconciliation group in some way. Every church should have it for sure, being how they made this mess. So uh, I just encourage people to join. Uh, I am shocked at how little uh, involvement the average Calgarian wants to be a part of the Reconciliation Action Group. I really encourage people to do the work because that's what it is. It's not just enough coming to the book club and learning. You have to do actual work. You have to do the action. <laughs> you know, writing a letter. That it's it's work. Anyway, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training and cultural first aid in all of them to create a safer space for indigenous people of color, those with disabilities and 2S LGBTQ to speak. I want to say thank you to Cheryl Ward and Chelsea Branch and Alicia Friedkin of heretohelp.bc.ca of what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work are those cultural action tools, so please support Indigenous work like that as part of your education, reconciliation work, and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and uh, equity-seeking groups are experiencing by the structure of oppression imposed on these lands. If you go to racialequitytools.org, uh, there are resource files, and one is called What is Internalized Racism by Donna K. Bevins. This is really important. Today on Twitter, I lost two friends who were people of color or Indigenous um, sisters because they were quick to attack a black woman out in Toronto. And this is the issue of anti-blackness by the indigenous community or internalized racism by another black person onto another black person. So at the end of the day, folks, if you don't understand what I'm saying, it's basically this. If you're willing to punch down on an equity seeking person, then you have to work on internalized oppression. So look it up, do the work, and don't bother oppressing another sister, brother, colleague, two-spirit, LGBTQ, 
ever again. It is disgusting. Why you would punch down on an equity-seeking group, I have no concept. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee, AFSC.org. They have tons of resources there. I don't. I wish that anybody who was following me on social media would watch the anti-racism organizational league for the city of Calgary giving in the internal committee a presentation on the journey of becoming an anti-racism leader. It's on YouTube. It's available for folks to watch. And maybe some of the uh, parts and departments of the city need to watch that. <laughs> uh, Calgary uh, Black Lives Matter activists Taylor McNally and Adora Nufar are being legally targeted please donate to them. I have uh, in my link tree uh, links to, to, to them in order to help them with their legal funds. Indigenous people have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the you know, equity-seeking groups and their budgets with like gender equity plus, with indigenous education, violence prevention services, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. No, and, and in this case, refusal to search landfills. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts equity-seeking people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports in every province about child welfare reform, violence prevention, now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry. Provincially in Alberta, the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice. I have not seen the new premier and her council do anything on this. Municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report, denying these reports as a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are, ex are experiencing extreme racism in every single institution from health to justice to education with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies because there's multiples of them. Stephanie Harp is an amazing activist from Northern Alberta that's been doing great work. We did an emergency podcast in the hopes our allies would write and do more on the crises that we were facing. If you go to aboriginalalert.ca, it kind of gives that uh, quick response between bear clans and police on who is missing. Also, she is working with the Missing Children's Society of Canada, so you can download their app as well. Um, there is a statement that came out at womenshopelessness.ca, a demand for urgent action to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, and gender-diverse people experiencing homelessness. I know that the city had a conversation on encampments, been very excited to learn about what it is that they think they should be doing, just really disappointed they did it during Folk Fest instead of at Christmas when people were literally dying and freezing to death with their decision to take the doors off of shelters. 
um, the drug poisoning that we're having has killed over 613 Albertas from just January to April. We're just getting the information about May, June, and July. Um, if you know anyone who is using substances, please do not use alone. If you are using alone, contact the National Overdose Response Service at 1-888-688-NORS for support. Download the Brave Doors or Lifeguard apps and know that making a plan can save your life. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today, you can contact the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-242. 3310. You can also go to their website, hopeforwellness.ca. They have a little text box. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit, you can call 844 413 6649. Also in uh, Alberta, we have the 60s Scoops Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. You can call the Indian Residential School Survivors and Family Hotline at 866-925-4419, a Native Youth Crisis Hotline, 877-209-1266. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your areas and a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566 or text at 45645. You can also go to the government website, crisisservicescanada.ca. Kids Help Phone, 1-800-668-6868. And for our 2S LGBTQ2+, first of all, let's give a shout out to the Trevor Project and their youth line is 866-844-7386. Uh, Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. And if you go to lifevoice.ca, there is tons of crisis supports for anyone under the 2S LGBTQ2 plus uh, umbrella. And I know I keep saying two twice and I'm trying really hard to drop the second one and always say the first one. <laughs> Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. It is self-care, how I take my power back, how we get Indigenous representation in media. This is why I started the podcast to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure like to tell us theirs, even if they know nothing about Indigenous peoples. Uh, colonialism, the constant surveillance of our people, protests, vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on racism, so it is unacceptable anymore to continue this. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism, gatekeeping. We're dealing with the structure of individual racism, whether online or in real life, and then, of course, structural racism. So Internal, external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous people, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors. To my late granny, my mom, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is to her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her, I am a second generation. To my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed 
to learn from you daily and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my child and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian that you can go pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And yeah. I want to end by giving side eye to the Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. And my beautiful cousin responded, are you being my dish? Thank you (laughs) folks for listening.